chapter 22. And um, I think I'm going to pick up right in verse 19 and read it a little bit more. We're going to get right into the, the account of the uh, Balaam and the donkey. And so we're going to talk about that and then give, uh, give some application from that. But Numbers chapter 22, verse number 19, I'm going to read a few more verses here. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. And God said unto Balaam at night, and said, uh, uh, came unto Balaam at night, said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. Balaam rose up in the morning, saddled his ass, and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. We're going to talk about that, right? We see a, a, a difference there between verse 20 and 22. Very important uh, application there. We're going to get to that. And I want to make sure I emphasize that now as we read it. God's anger was kindled because he went. The angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass or his donkey and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and he went into the field. Balaam smote the ass to turn her back into the way. The angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. It's a very narrow place. When the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place, another one, where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and he smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, what have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there was a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head, and fell flat on his face. All right, let's stop right there at the end of verse number 31. I hope, obviously, as we read through that, you see some of the unique uh, characteristics of this story. I talked about that a little bit last week. We've been preaching through the book of Numbers, highlighting many of the accounts uh, that, that transpire, that were told about these historical events that happen here in the book of Numbers. Last week, we talked about fiery serpents, it's the only time we really see anything about fiery serpents in the scriptures like that. The only time God had used them as a punishment. And then we saw the, the brazen serpent upon the rod, upon the staff that God used and, and why God used that. Today, again, we see another very unique account, something very unusual come about. And that, you know, God's going to use a donkey to open the eyes of a prophet. Um, a lot that unfolds here. Uh, number one, who is this Balaam guy, right? Who, who is this guy? He seems to have a, um, uh, I, I would say he seems to have his foot on both sides of the fence, right? He seems to be dabbling in a little bit of, of everything and everybody. He seems to have God talking to him 
and yet he seems to be at the beck and call of the king of the, of the Moabites. Uh, who, who is he? Where did he come from? We're going to look at him for just a little bit. We're going to look at the fact that God used a donkey. And, you know, did the donkey um, start speaking? You know, did the, how did that work? Obviously, God allowed the voice of the Lord to come out of that donkey. And how did that, how did that work? And why did God do that? That's a unique thing. We don't really see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, it, you know, the only parallel kind of we can draw to that is in the Garden of Eden. When uh, uh, Satan uses a serpent to talk to and, and to beguile Eve. And so we have that unique thing in here. And then, and, then, and then we have some of the interaction between God and this Balaam guy. Um, um, uh, God told him very clearly the first time Balaam came to him. He told him there in verse number 12, you're not going. Don't go. You're not cursing the people. And don't go. And then Balaam seems to say all the right things in verse number um, uh, 18. If Balak, if the king, would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God. Then he says in verse 19, Now therefore I pray thee, tarry ye here also this night, that I may know what the Lord will say to me more. That might have been the opening of a problem right there. Because God had already spoken. You and I know God is immutable. He's, he doesn't change. And God had already said, I don't want you to go, and I don't want you to curse this people. As we come to verse number 19 there, Balaam's like, well, let me go back and basically let me go back and ask again. Let's see if there's a different answer or a different, different outcome. And God begins in verse number 20 with, with what I think is the most important word we're going to look at today, and that is if. I'm not, just, I'm not just trying to make something out of this little word. The more you study this passage, the more you study the interaction between God and Balaam, the more you see everything hinging upon that word if. One of the things that you, you know about me if you've come here for any length of time is I am not in any way a Greek or Hebrew scholar. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my forte. I haven't really studied that. I don't know much about that. I, I'm dangerous if I get into that type of stuff. But every commentary will tell you that the key here is the Hebrew word that is translated to our English word, if. In other words, it all hinges on that word. And so God said, listen, if, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. If, if they're going to implore you to go, then go. You're not going to curse the Israelite people, God says. But if they come and they implore you to come and they want you to go, then, then you're free to go. But what you're going to do isn't going to change. And we see, I think, a lot in verse number 20, Balaam rose up in the morning and got his donkey ready. We don't see the men imploring him to go. At least it's not outlined in there for us. It's not told to us. We don't see them approaching them. We just see him getting up early and getting things ready and going. It's as if he had enough of an open door that he felt like, yeah, I'm going to go. It, he made a great statement 
earlier in verse 18, I don't care about all the silver and gold in the king's house. But it seems by, by the next morning, after he slept on it, he got up early because he might be cashing in on this. Right? And he gets ready to go, and then it tells us in verse 22, God's anger was kindled because he went. This was not the scenario that God had outlined, and so much of what we see here is contingent upon that word, if. Just the emphasis there, number one, no word, single word, within the word of God is there by accident. It's there for a reason. It's there intentionally, and God is a God of the details, God is a God, that's why he said, woe to those who would change any jot or tittle in Scripture, the smallest of punctuation or abbreviation, the smallest thing, woe to them. Why? Because it's all here for a reason, for a very important reason. And it was given to Balaam that night in that second request, that second prayer when he went back to God. God said, here's, here's a scenario for you, Balaam. God's understanding that if Balaam refuses the king again, the king had sent once, he said, I'm not going. He sent more honorable men, more important men in the kingdom to go get him. If he refused again, it could cost him his life. It could cost some severe retribution of some sort based on the time that they're in. He said, if they implore you to go, go with them, but you were not, you're not cursing the Israelite people. It seems that Balaam didn't wait for the if. He said, let's, let's go. Let's go. I got an opportunity here. Let's go. And God says, no, 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 no. The heart seems to be in the wrong, the wrong position here. This Balaam, we have a little bit of his background there in verse number 5. He was the son of Beor. That does not give us much as far as who that is. Lived in the area of this Pithor, P-E-T-H-O-R. He was a man who seemed to uh, have a fear for God, um, but was not necessarily, I think we would see in this passage, a, a godly man. Uh, he, he understood who God was, and clearly God spoke to him. Right As they came, God spoke to him and he gave him instructions and gave him the, the information. And yet, and yet Balaam, real quick, and we're going to get to this by the end of the message, Balaam didn't do exactly what God said. Balaam did try to appease the king of the Moabites and did try to curse the people, but wasn't able to do it. He didn't see the signs that God was leaving, including the interaction with his donkey that seemed to pass him by. And ultimately, and Scripture tells us this, it's Balaam himself who will send a stumbling block among the Israelite people, which will cause them to fall into sin. And that gets even mentioned in the New Testament as well. So Balaam's not a good guy. And yet God used him in this particular scenario and spoke to him in this particular scenario. There's some problems with this Baal and who he is. Somehow he had a, an understanding of God. 
and he had a, an opportunity for God to speak to him, and yet he wasn't an Israelite. He was trying to hurt the Israelites, and he ultimately did send a stumbling block to the Israelites, which caused a great problem. So Balaam is an unusual figure in Scripture. And so I wrote this down. Isn't it interesting how God uses flawed people? God, in his perfect will of working out exactly what he wants, doesn't always use the people that we imagine he would use or the people that we think are the right ones to use. God often uses flawed people to show his power in spite of the person. I was thinking a similar account to this might be someone like Jonah. Right? Jonah, God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to the people, or I'm going to destroy it. And Jonah said, and I'm summarizing, no. <laughs> he got and fled. He went the other way. God had to get his attention. Belly of the Belly of the fish and the great whale. He gets spit out on the land in the direction he's supposed to head. He goes to Nineveh. It seems reluctantly, and we don't have to just guess at that. He seems reluctantly. He goes. He preaches. How about this? The people turn. There's repentance. Things change. And what does Jonah do? He bemoans that. He goes on the hillside, and he basically says, I knew it, I knew, you'd, I knew you would spare those people. You know. Jonah seems like, listen, from a, a pastor's perspective, seems like an awful preacher, right? He doesn't want to preach to the people he's called to preach to, and he gets upset when they actually turn, repent, and change their ways. He seems to do everything wrong, and yet God uses him for a great turnabout, a great revival in a hardened land. God uses him in a powerful way. I think we see that with Balaam, too. Balaam seems to have his motives out of, out of whack. He seems to not do exactly what God tells him to do. He seems to be interested and not necessarily personally opposed to cursing the Israelite people. Yet God uses him in this little way where God speaks to him, gives him some answers, tries to get his attention, even uses his donkey to try to get his attention and wake him up. Balaam ultimately does not end well. And we'll see that in scripture in just a minute. Number two on my list here, um, we see God's ultimate control over all of creation. In Sunday school this morning in Brother Walker's class, It was a review lesson, and he shared a video, uh, a a British gentleman, talking about creation and the fact that too many Christians don't emphasize the importance of the creation account in Scripture. In other words, they're too quick to just try to throw evolution and the whole evolutionary theory in parallel with the Bible. Listen, Creation tells us so much about God. Creation, the account of creation, tells us what God's plans are for mankind, where mankind came from, what mankind's purpose is. In the midst of the creation story and then the ensuing 
uh, temptation and fall, we see God begin to outline his plan for mankind and his plan for redeeming mankind. We throw away the Genesis account. We have thrown away the foundation of the entire word of God and God's entire plan for mankind. Every jot and tittle of the creation account is as important as the word if in verse number 20 that I emphasized. God has ultimate control over all creation. We saw that, I think, in chapter 21 when God brought serpents. And then we see it again in chapter number 22 when God allows this donkey that Balaam's riding on to see the angel of the Lord that Balaam can't see. And then finally for the the voice of God or the angel of the Lord to come out of the mouth of this donkey because God created that donkey. God created speech, right? We know God's emphasis on speech. Go to the Tower of Babel. They all spoke one language when they got there, and they were all speaking different languages when they left. How did that come about? God did that, right? And so God allowed the voice of God put there divinely to come out of the mouth of this donkey to get Balaam's attention. God, his ultimate control over all of creation must be seen in the story like this. I think the other thing we see is the difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will. And that's almost a sermon for, that is a sermon for itself. That's a whole lesson for itself. But we see it here in these two different accounts. In other words, verse 12 and verse verse number 20. Remember, God said, I don't want you to go, right? Don't go. Verse number 12. And so Balaam comes back and says, well... They're here again. What now do you want me to do? And God says, if they're going to push this, if it's going to be an issue, then go with them. But you're not going to curse them. God, um, uh, again, a parallel type of story in the Bible. Later on, after the land is subdued, it is ruled by judges for a period of time. That's a period of turmoil. Then finally, the last judge being Samuel, the people come to Samuel and they said, we want a what? King. We want a king. Everybody else has a king. All these Moabites had a king. All these nations that were in Canaan, they they all had kings. Philistines had a king. Egypt had a king. We want a king. We don't have a king. And God says through Samuel, you don't want a king. And, and listen, we can relate to this, right? What was one of the main reasons God said, you don't want a king? He's going to do what? He's going to tax you, right? He's going to tax you. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your, your sons and put them in the military. He's going to take your daughters and put them into servitude, of, you know, taking care of the king's business. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your stuff. You don't want a king. And the people said, we still want a king. So God gave them a king. A difference between God's perfect will and what God permitted. 
God said, ultimately, you don't want a king. But you think you want a king, so I'm going to give... Now, listen, with that being said, God gave them a good man in King Saul, who became bad, right? But he started off good. He gave them a godly king in David, who wasn't perfect, but was a godly man. He gave them a pretty good king in Solomon, right? The first three kings were, were, were men who had a heart for God, who, who started off right, even though they made some mistakes later in their life, some of them big mistakes later in their life. But he gave them some, some godly men to lead them, even though God said, I don't want you to have a king. Doesn't it seem like from a human perspective, we'd be like, oh, you want a king? I'll give you a king. I'll give you someone that... You, you... No, no, no. God gave them good people to lead them in a godly way, and then finally their heart fell so far from God that they got the wishes of their heart, and they got some evil kings as, as time went on. Perfect will... Permissive will. Perfect will, God said to Balaam, I don't want you to go down there. Don't go down there. And Balaam comes back. He's like, well, I, here we are again. I think I need to go. You know, I said, what, what, what now? What can I do now? And God says, well, if they're going to push you, then go with them. And it seems like, it seems like in the text here that Balaam couldn't get his donkey ready fast enough to go, you know. He got up and got everything ready. He's like, let's go. Well, that's not what God had said. That wasn't the exact intention of what God was doing here. He, he manipulated God's command. Listen, tonight in our evening service, we're going to talk about grace. Once again, the subject of grace. We're going to tonight emphasize abuse of grace. How is grace abused? It's often abused because we manipulate what God says. We take what God says and try to make it fit what we want and what we want to do. I think we see that here with Balaam. He took a, 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 God gave him an exception, an exception to the rule. I don't want you to go. If they're going to push you, if it's going to be a problem, I will let you go, but we're not going to change what I'm going to let you do. And so Balaam couldn't get his donkey ready fast enough to go. God's like, no. That's why he said in verse number 22, God's anger was kindled because he went. No, this is not the plan. It was not the scenario. His heart was bent to go please the king, hoping for a promotion, hoping for a spot, which the king had promised him, hoping for maybe some wealth. All of this was involved. He went for personal reasons. I thought it was interesting. This is my fifth point, if you're trying to keep track. I wrote down seven Seven lessons I learned from this. My fifth one is, isn't it interesting that this ungodly king knew where the power and truth was? When the ungodly king of the Moabites, Balak, was concerned and he saw the Israelites amassing in strength, there was a lot of them. Remember, they haven't come to the promised land yet. They haven't taken down the walls of Jericho yet. But isn't it interesting, when we see in the story of Jericho, the spies go in, to Jericho to check out Jericho, and they're uh, housed by, uh, by Rahab. Rahab says, we've heard what God's doing among your people. Among, we, so we heard about the Red Sea, and we heard how God has given you power over... Well, one of those accounts that she heard about was right here with the Moabites. 
because the Moabites have heard some of this already, and they're about to be another casualty here, is that they heard, boy, there's some strength in this nomadic people. There's something unique about them. There's something powerful about them. There's something, something we don't understand. And so he's the one that goes to find the prophet, this prophet that has a, an understanding for Jehovah, for the God of the Israelites, this prophet that the king Balak says, it seems the things that you bless are blessed and the things you curse are cursed. There's something there. So I want you to be on my side to curse the Israelites. Now, of course, we know it doesn't work that way. He's looking at this prophet as, if you will, a good luck charm, isn't he? You know, I you know rub the, the genie bottle and you know I get a wish or something. I, I want this I want this prophet on my side. Who you bless gets blessed. Who you curse cursed. I don't know what to do with these Israelites. You come work for me. His motives again are wrong, but he he knew there was something there in this prophet, and this prophet did have an understanding of Jehovah. He did have an understanding of the God of Israel. He talked. To the God of Israel. Didn't listen real well, but he talked. It was Balaam that ultimately caused some of the problems they had. Turn over to chapter 25, verse 1. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but chapter 25, verse 1, Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom, or adultery, with the daughters of Moab. What? Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, yep, all the way back in the back, if you want to turn there, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, these are in the letters to the seven churches, Revelation chapter 2, I think we're in uh, Smyrna, verse number 8, under the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, verse 12, we're now in the uh, letter to Pergamus. Pergamus, verse 12, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword and two edges, I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, thou holdest fast my name, hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my fellow martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Then he says this to the church of Pergamus, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to do two things, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So Balaam, we're not going to have time to get into all this as the next couple of chapters unfold, Numbers chapter 23 and 24. Balaam tries to curse the people to make Balak happy. And as he does, God uses his voice. Should have been a warning to him. Listen, if God can speak through the donkey, then God can speak through you too, Balaam. You know. uh, the donkey had no control over what was coming out of its mouth, and really neither did Balaam when it came to it. And as he tried to curse, it would in turn come out as a blessing. And Balak would get mad. Uh, Balaam finally left there in some humility. He's just sent away. There's no promotion. There's no money. 
he just leaves. But he's angry. I think he's hurt. I think he's upset. The whole thing didn't come out like he envisioned it was going to come out. And the Bible tells us all the way into the book of Revelation. What did he do? Well, he went back to Balak, not with a curse. He went back with, hey, this is what you need to do. Here's a stumbling block. He uses the women of Moab to entice the men of Israel and get them to commit fornication and adultery and a mess. We see that unfold in chapter 25. It was Balaam that did that. It was Balaam who ultimately used immorality, the curse that he didn't give verbally, he did through conniving and manipulation and casting a stumbling block, according to Revelation chapter 2. I didn't want to overlook, and I mentioned it once already, but clearly it was God that controlled the tongue of both the prophet when he wanted to curse and the, and the donkey. Donkey didn't know how to speak at that time, obviously. So God controlled the tongue tongue of the donkey who didn't know anything about language. And he controlled the tongue of the prophet who was trying to curse God's chosen people. Again, let's go back to the fact God's ultimate control over all of creation. And so I was reminded of this. You can turn to the New Testament. We're going to look at two verses as we conclude this morning. But Luke chapter 19, verse number 40. Uh, 39 and 40. Luke uh, 19, Luke 19, verses 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, that's Jesus, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he, Jesus, answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Isn't that interesting? Think think of that. Now, these Pharisees would have known well the story from Numbers chapter 22. They knew about Balaam. They knew about Balak. They knew about this donkey. They knew the importance of the story and all that was in it and the importance of the history of Israel. They, They knew that story. And Jesus told them when they said, listen, you've got to get your disciples to stop talking and to stop sharing and to stop praising and to stop doing. You need to quiet your disciples down, Jesus. Jesus says, listen, if they hold their tongue, the rocks would cry out. As if Jesus said to them, you think the donkey was something? The donkey at least had a mouth and a tongue and could breathe. The donkey at least knew how to say hee-haw, you know, or whatever it is they say, right? He at least knew how to make a sound. He said, but if, if my disciples keep their mouth shut, then the rocks will speak. The rocks will cry. Well, that seems biologically more impossible, right? There's no biology in a rock. A rock's nothing, Jesus said. The rocks would cry out if the people stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and the goodness of Christ. Again, God's ultimate power over all of creation. One last thing, just as a a note, 
it was interesting. God used an angel in this passage. We, we, we probably, um, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, looking through some books. Um, we talk about angels a good bit. There's a lot of books about angels. A lot of, there's TV shows and movies about angels. We probably overemphasize angels, listen, more than the Bible does. There's only a, there's so many passages that really talk about angels and their interaction with mankind. But this was one of them. And in Numbers chapter 22, it was an angel of the Lord that stood in the way. It was the angel of the Lord that stood there and wouldn't let the donkey go past. Wouldn't let him turn right or left. Got him in a narrow way. Ultimately, the, the donkey tried to get over and hurt or crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. There was an angel involved in this very story. I was thinking, again, parallel story. There was an angel in the story of Elijah. Remember when Elijah and his servant was concerned about the ensuing armies? And Elijah said, well, they were surrounded. We are surrounded by the angels of the Lord and, and, his, and his army, his military. And his servant couldn't see it at first, and God allowed him to open his eyes and see that take place. Hebrews chapter 13, I wanted to end with this one. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Let's talk about angels for one second here as we close and wrap this up. Again, some of the lessons that we see in this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Some have entertained angels, didn't even realize it. Uh, Balaam was doing that, right? There was an angel that was disrupting the travel, and he didn't even know it. The donkey knew it. He didn't know it. Took a while before God opened his eyes after he got done, listen, after he got done hurting his donkey a few times, God opened his eyes so he could see that angel that was there. How often is God using an angel to change our direction and stop our way? Balaam didn't see it. God used him to protect Elijah in that story. Interesting story there in Numbers 22. Balaam, his donkey that God allowed to speak. Balaam trying to curse the people. Some of the interaction he had with God. A flawed, flawed person to say the least. Thought it was important to draw out some of those personal lessons, practical lessons from the story there in Numbers 22. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had today. Lord, again, just a little different lesson. Um, we, we just looked at the events that transpired there in Numbers 22 and 23. We talked about the characters that were involved, everything from a prophet who had a somewhat questionable past and then a donkey, and a Moabite king, and an angel of the Lord. Lord, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. So, Lord, let us be mindful that ultimately you are in control of things that we understand and things we don't understand. Lord, to have that confidence in who you are. And, Lord, if there's any, any significant, most important lesson in all this... Perhaps it was the first one, not to, not to miss the importance of the small details 
Lord, your entire command to Balaam began with a if, if then. Lord, he seemed to miss the if, and you were upset with him for that. Lord, let us be mindful of the details you have in the rules and the, and the, the verses and the promises that you have to govern our lives. Lord, we thank you for the time that we've had here today. Lord, may we become better students of the word, better understand you and your interaction with us. Lord, we want to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We ask all this now in your precious name. Amen. All right, let's stand together for our last song. What is our last song? Jesus loves even me. Number 720 in your hymnal. Words will be on the screen. Jesus loves even me. Let's sing in closing.